Bonjour, everyone. It is David, the Real Time Show's resident provocateur, back at you with another article. As usual, it is so great to be here with you talking watches, but uh, I want to break from the usual today because I don't want to provoke. Or rather, I don't want to provoke emotions. I want to provoke discussions. And today's episode might be a little bit longer than the articles you're used to because I am so passionate about the topic that I'm going to discuss today. So if you've listened to these articles before, you know that I have a special soft spot for, quote, fashion watches. And the fashion watch brand, again, in quotes, I'm going to discuss today has been not only hugely influential in my own style journey, but also might just be one of the most influential brands of all time. Before I get into the episode, remember, you can always get in touch with us with your opinions, good and bad. We love hearing them all. And uh, contact information will be shared with you at the end of this episode. So without further delay, let's just get right into it. In episode 67 of The Real Time Show, I made the case that anyone claiming to be a watch lover is doing themselves a disservice by dismissing products from large luxury brands as, quote, fashion watches. Granted, as with every product category, there's still a fair amount of garbage, so you can continue walking by the Armani Exchange, Burberry, and, quite frankly, shockingly, Tom Ford watch displays without a second thought. But when you look at brands such as Cartier, Hermes, or Louis Vuitton, brands that really only operate at the very high end of the price scale, there's a good chance that, setting aside stylistic preferences, the watches they're offering are objectively good watches. As I said in the article, these brands have to be very mindful of their brand perception, so they have every incentive to create excellent products in every category in which they are active. For watches in particular, what they lack in watchmaking heritage, they can indeed mitigate with well-loved design codes. After years of investment and trial and error, the brands I just mentioned seem to have finally generated some traction in watch nerd circles, and I use that term in very loving quotes, and personally, I'm very taken by the new Louis Vuitton tambour. There is, however, one glaring outlier, a very well-known brand, a favorite of mine, and I'd argue one of the most influential in the history of fashion, which did not create as much buzz with their foray into watches, despite some very, very well-done offerings. I'm talking about Ralph Lauren, and in today's article, I'm going to cover, first, Ralph Lauren watches and how they came to be. Second, why I think this attempt at breaking into the watch market initially fizzled. Third, the current state of Ralph Lauren watches. And finally, I'll wrap up with what I think the brand could do to build on what it has. And quick spoiler, there is a lot to work with there. Quick break here to be fully upfront with my bias. Polo Ralph Lauren is one of my first great menswear loves. I am fascinated by the imagery surrounding the polo shirt, the crossover appeal of sportswear like the legendary snow beach jacket, and if you know, you know, and the fact that the brand can be just as well known for formal wear with the purple label line as it can with Western wear via double RL. Regardless of how deep I get into clothing, I will always, always circle back to Ralph Lauren and its various universes. Being a little more objective, it's kind of wild that a brand can be known for and excel in such a broad spectrum of design styles and price ranges. It's as if Ferrari were as well known for sports cars as they might be for pickup trucks and compact cars. Perhaps it's the successful versatility that gave them the confidence to try their hand at watches, and I remember seeing the teaser for Ralph Lauren watches over a decade ago. I was expecting something more along the lines of what Tommy Hilfiger, a generally accepted peer brand, was offering. That is to say, branded quartz watches retailing for, at most, several hundreds of dollars. Wow, was I shocked when I saw the full reveal. 
These were watches costing thousands and thousands of dollars, some well into the five-figure range. As I dug into the project a little more, I found out that the seemingly inflated prices weren't simply resting on the mythical Ralph Lauren name, but rather an all-star team of watchmaking heavy hitters. The way I've heard the story, Ralph the man knows the head of Richemont, not surprising at all actually, and a partnership was formed between Ralph Lauren, the company, and Richemont brands such as Piaget and JLC, with those watchmakers providing movements and presumably manufacturing capabilities generally for Ralph Lauren watches. The two men really must have been good friends, because stylistically, if not, I'll grant you realistically, Ralph Lauren watches were absolutely positioned to cannibalize Cartier, Piaget, and JLC sales. But the deal went ahead, much to Ralph Lauren's benefit. Horologically, I'll point out here that this is already a step ahead of how brands such as Hermes operated for a long time. Whereas they would go pretty much only for ETA movements before committing to the Vaucher manufacturer. Ralph Lauren, the brand and the man, did have some workhorse-powered models, which are still quite handsome, I'll add, but they were already swinging for the fences with high horology options, perhaps because the man himself is a well-known watch collector and wanted to carry out the project properly. Then we get to the designs. The playbook for any non-watch brand trying to get into watches is to lean into their aesthetic signatures, and Ralph Lauren has these in absolute spades. They can do preppy, they can do workwear, they can even do art deco, despite having no legitimate claim to being born in any of these circles. With Ralph Lauren, it just comes down to sheer skill and storytelling. The Ralph Lauren brand set up its watch portfolio in the worlds of motoring, equestrian, western, and safari-style watches for their collections. But me describing them this way does not do justice to the beauty and uniqueness of how some of these watches turned out. My current personal favorite, that's the automotive double tourbillon. Talk about entering the market with a bang. The watchmaking complications are impressive, sure, but what strikes me most about this watch is that Burlwood bezel. I have not seen this done elsewhere, and any time I see it, literally any time, my mind goes to the great Gatsby, Bugatti cars, and very, very old money. That is the power of the Ralph Lauren brand. And yet, As far as I can tell, these watches were, and still are, kind of a flop. Although, please, do let me know if you have data telling me otherwise. I have never seen a Ralph Lauren watch in person, and though offerings on Chrono24 are limited, what you can find is priced well below what the MSRP was and is today. So, what happens? In my mind, it comes down to timing, marketing, positioning, and sizing. I've already sort of touched on the timing aspect, but as much as I commend the brand's desire to do things properly, it's my point of view that it started off too strongly. What Ralph Lauren created were not fashion watches at all, but rather watches aimed squarely at watch nerds. There's that term again. And we know how that crowd reacts instinctively to watches from brands that don't usually make them. Maybe the idea was just to sell a couple of the very high-end pieces and focus on the lower end, but still pricey, time-only models to drive most of the revenues. Even then, the brand must have been counting on die-hard Ralph Lauren fans, not necessarily well-acquainted with high-end watches, for whom hundreds of dollars is a lot to spend on a, quote, nice watch. And ultimately, that group just didn't show up and convert in great enough numbers. On that note, the marketing was just off for these watches, in the sense that in my mind, there was none. 
I can't think of a single ad for Ralph Lauren watches. And in fact, the only reason I knew they existed at all was because I had a habit of visiting their website regularly. Again, this is just a hypothesis, but with its huge war chest, which allowed it to go big with its watches right out of the gate, surely Ralph Lauren could have gotten more eyeballs, both watch nerd and not, onto the brand by doing more on the marketing side. I'm not a huge fan of celebrity ambassadors, but a well-known celebrity on choice billboards and in key airports around the world would have gone a long way. Again, at least in my opinion. This leads to positioning, a key aspect of products with the Ralph Lauren empire, since you can spend anything from $40 to $10,000, depending on which of the brand's many lines you shop in. Interestingly, Ralph Lauren watches to start had Ralph Lauren on the dial. Not Polo Ralph Lauren, not Double RL, not Purple Label, but Ralph Lauren. Clearly, this and the font used were meant to evoke heritage that didn't exist. Again, a running theme with Ralph Lauren, but not a problematic one since the brand handles design so well. But when rubber meets the road, just how was Ralph Lauren going to sell these? Again, if it had been up to me, I would have associated Ralph Lauren watches with boutiques only, at least initially and had a separate section set up just for watches, with specially trained staff on hand to guide new and existing but curious watch lovers on their journey with Ralph Lauren timepieces. Finally, we get to sizing, which is just confused. The partnership between Ralph Lauren and Richemont started in the 2000s. During much of that time, large watches were all the rage, and Ralph Lauren followed suit. For instance, the brand produced a handsome-looking JLC-powered chronograph, but if you look a little closer... It's 45 millimeters. How could a brand like Ralph Lauren, known for the timelessness of its designs, be swayed by the very questionable tastes of the early 2000s? If they were looking to the Art Deco period for inspiration, why could they not also draw upon that period's slender wristwatch dimensions? The sizing is, to me, unfortunately what holds back the brand from being rediscovered today. I mean, can you imagine how good the deal would be if you could get a 38 millimeter JLC-powered chronograph for around $5,000? I can absolutely see certain watch lovers looking for a bargain on Chrono24, taking a bit of a gamble, falling in love with the brand, and then telling their friends about it at the next Red Bar meetup. It's just such a strange thing to say that Ralph Lauren, this absolute juggernaut of a success story and luxury brand, dropped the ball on marketing, positioning, and design. But that's where we are, or at least that's where I perceive us to be. And an even stranger twist is that arguably, Ralph Lauren's watches today are where the brand should have started in the 2000s. If you go to the website's watch section, you'll see two main families of watches featured. There are others, but these really are the two that stand out to me. The Polo Bear watch and what the brand calls the Polo watch. The Polo watch is the type of thing you would find at Armani Exchange. It's gaudy, it's cheap looking. It's not cheap though, and it's not at all what I think of when I think of Polo Ralph Lauren. To me, this design language actually could have been used as a foundation for an RLX performance line, maybe even a connected watch, but as it stands, I'd avoid the Polo watch altogether. The Polo Bear watch, though, that is something special. The Polo Bear is truly an icon, and people will happily pay upwards of four or $500 for a knit sweater featuring the character. So to have various dial and strap combinations featuring a Polo Bear in different outfits is brilliant and completely on brand. Some might say that these are a little expensive for time-only watches, but then again, you get a Swiss movement, a nicely signed crown, and most importantly, with other time-only watches, you don't get the iconic polo bear. 
So credit is due to Ralph Lauren for completely using its brand heritage here. In fact, Wei Ko, the founder of Revolution, actually collaborated with Ralph Lauren to make a limited edition Negroni Bear watch, an endorsement in the watch world if there ever was one. My only gripe with the Polo Bear watches is that they're mostly 42 millimeters, whereas 38 or 40 millimeters would have been a more classic size. As far as I can tell, one 38 millimeter model does exist, the Ralph and Ricky Bear. So the foundation is there, and at quite a lower price actually than the 42 millimeter models. Then we get to the brand's biggest recent release, the Polo Ralph Lauren Vintage 67. Announced at the end of 2022, this model enjoyed a fair amount of buzz for a Ralph Lauren watch. I myself have not handled one or seen one, but Rob has, and he and Alan discussed it at length in episode 15 of The Real Time Show. Quick summary, Rob was really impressed. I love the fact that Ralph Lauren produced such a quality piece, but again, I'm confused by the positioning. As the dial clearly states, like the Polo Bear watches, the Vintage 67 falls under the Polo line, but to me, with its bun strap, classically styled hands, and railroad-inspired numerals, it should be a double RL offering. Also, again, where is the marketing for this? How is Ralph Lauren going to capitalize on the positive press this watch received when it was announced? If you've listened to these articles before, you know I like to play pretend CEO. But before I do that, here's a quote from 2020 from Guillaume Titu, the head of watchmaking at Ralph Lauren. Quote, we continue to produce and sell more high-end models, including timepieces worth up to $65,000 in the Western collection. The stirrup line remains the brand's best seller in the $2,000 segment. End quote. There are two surprising pieces of information here, and I'll use them now as I, somewhat humbly, suggest the course of action I'd follow for Ralph Lauren to make a dent, however small to start, in the watchmaking category with the intent of building up to selling more of those fantastic high-end timepieces the brand introduced years ago. Number one, I'd make the Polo Bear watch the foundation for Polo Ralph Lauren watches. If possible, I'd make a smaller model and remove the Polo Ralph Lauren branding at 9 o'clock. These would only be sold in Polo boutiques and online, and I encourage the brand to play up its current strap offerings, which, while expensive, look very distinctly Polo and could be a good margin driver. Number two, In the future, perhaps Polo Ralph Lauren could offer another watch, stylistically in keeping with the prep style of the mid-century, to round out this price tier with something a bit sportier. Number three, just ditch the Polo watch entirely as it exists today, but use it as a foundation for RLX branded sports models, perhaps even, again, some kind of connected watch. The colors would go well with activewear, and the division's focus on sustainability leaves open some very interesting possibilities with regards to future offerings. Number four, rebrand the Vintage 67 as a double RL model and use that as an entry point leading up to some of those $65,000 Western watches. Number five, on that point, while I'm surprised those watches sell so well, I hope Ralph Lauren is doing whatever it can to get that small niche of buyers talking about their watches in hopes of converting other potential buyers in their friend and colleague circle. Number six, everything else, including the stirrup collection, should be moved to the purple label, with models resized where necessary. So, no more 45mm chronographs. Number seven, all of these watches should be sold in their respective boutiques with appropriately trained staff. And finally, number eight is that all of these different lines should be supported with appropriate ad campaigns, which would include carefully selected brand ambassadors and product placement opportunities. 
I've browsed Rob Florin's site several times while writing this article, and what strikes me is just how much watch stuff you can buy. Tooled leather straps, alligator straps, steel bracelets, deployant buckles, pin buckles. It's all there. It's so clear that the brand understands watches. And all, in heavy quotes, Ralph Lauren has to do now is customer outreach and education. With that said, I really hope Ralph Lauren keeps their watch division top of mind because I would love nothing more than to see them produce an H08 type of watch that's met with considerable success. In the meantime, if you haven't done so, definitely check out Ralph Lauren's watch page. It only bolsters my argument that a fashion watch isn't necessarily a terrible watch. And in the case of Ralph Lauren, a fashion watch can indeed be a fantastic watch. And that is it from me for today. I've shared my thoughts. Now it's your turn. If you'd like to share your feedback, again, good or bad, we'd love to hear it. You can reach me on Instagram at D-A-V-A-U-C-H-E-R. Rob can be reached at R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S, and Alan can be reached at A-L-O-N-B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H. We also love getting feedback from the contact form on our website, and you can find that at www.therealtime.show forward slash contact. If I have one request, though, in terms of feedback, for this particular episode, if you have any either first or even secondhand knowledge of how these Ralph Lauren watches were sold, developed, or marketed, I would really love to hear from you. Uh, these watches were released in the early part of the 2000s. We are now in 2023, and there's just not that much information about them. Again, these just didn't get picked up very much by the uh, specialist press. So if I have any gaps in my knowledge or I said something that's incorrect, I really would love to get my facts straight, and I would love to hear from you. As always, I want to thank you for taking the time to tune in, and we're very much looking forward to having you tune in to future episodes of The Real Time Show. Until then, thanks again, and take care. <laughs>